Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My guest today is Damian Lupo. He is a best-selling author and very interesting, rule-breaking, rebellious kind of guy. And I'm really excited to get into this conversation with you guys. Welcome, Damian. Hey, Kelsey. It's good to be here. Uh, congratulations on what, well, you know, when people move, we always say congratulations. So congratulations. You've been moving a lot. Yeah, I've been moving a lot. And sometimes I feel like I'm on a merry ground. I mean, when you move multiple times in a year, it's, it's not really progress. It's just seeing the same thing over and over again. And you're thinking, oh, I'm going faster, but you're really just going in a circle. It's probably how a lot of people sort of live on accident, but it is unfortunate how that can happen. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And when you're moving so frequently and actually moving your possessions, not in a camper, are you purging stuff in between? Are you actually unpacking and packing? Yeah, so that's, I think that's one of the, the best part experiences with all that. I've probably moved 25 times um, and I mean, full on moved with all sorts of stuff. And you find out how heavy your life is when you do this. And one of the great things is being able to purge because maybe five or six years ago, one of my moves, I walked into a house and I was looking around and I, I asked myself, what would I actually go buy if I had nothing right now? And is it anything that's actually in that truck? And it, there wasn't a lot that was in the truck. It was just a legacy thing, which is a lot of what people have with their stuff and their lives. And I said, okay, well, if I'm going to blank slate this, what would I actually want to bring in here? And I went out and got that stuff. And then I said, if I could do that with my stuff, what about the people in my life? And that's where it got dangerous and exciting because I said, if I didn't have anybody in my life, who would I want? And it wasn't the same people that were necessarily in my life. And so I, I got known as the eviscerator. Like people started getting scared that I was going to eviscerate them. Even best friends are like, are you evis eviscerating me? You haven't talked to me in a month. So, <laughs> but it becomes a really important question to ask, are the right people, things, work, whatever in my life, or am I just doing this because it's a legacy? And that's can be pretty powerful and very scary for a lot of people around you too. Yeah. Oh my God. I got a hell yes for that. When we, when we bought this house, so we'd been living in a camper for 16 months. All of our stuff had been in storage. We had the stuff that fit in our very small camper, which included, you know, like two plates, two bowls, all of that. So when we moved in, we had two weeks before the truck came. It was great. That truck arrived and I couldn't even handle looking at it. Like I didn't want any of it. None of it. Just like take it, just keep it on the truck. I haven't needed it for 16 months. Therefore, I don't need it. I think it's a, it's a, it's a powerful exercise to, like I went to Europe or to Asia um, about five years, six years ago. And when I went there for six and a half weeks, I had a little roller bag and a backpack and doing that. And this was, you know, I was, I was in my mid thirties. So it wasn't like I was 18 and didn't really care about anything. I actually had grown accustomed to create, you know, accoutrements like life stuff. Yeah. But doing that, it really showed me the stuff that I did need. I did use. And funny thing is anything that I really needed that wasn't there, I was able to buy because we live in a world where you can get the things you need. If there's stuff, instead of having all these things, like we're, part of the Donner party. And if we don't have it, we're going to die. Like, I think we live that way. We're always prepping for the apocalypse and it just makes life very heavy. It does. Heavy is such a good word for that. And before, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about non-attachment. Is non-attachment then lighter? I think it's, it's freer. Um, it's sometimes it, it, I would say it's definitely lighter, it's the, the non-attachment allows you to be aware when you're attached to things, you tend to be fixated. I mean, I know that when I'm attached to something, I'm fixated on that, that thing, that point in time or that, that place in the universe. And I'm missing everything else around me because my awareness is locked in with attention that's involved in that, that attachment. So it's unattaching 
you're able to drop down into this place of, of presence and be aware and your periphery actually opens up. I think we, we end up in tunnel vision if we're, if we're attached. So it's very mm-hmm. dangerous because we miss out on everything. Yeah. Non-attachment is expansive. It's, it's incredibly expansive. It's, we, you know, there's this idea with, with secret that became pretty popular recently that if you, you think it and you will it, you can have a bag of money pot, you know, drop from the sky and hit you in the head. And that, that's the wrong idea. The idea is that when you think it and you're open to it, which means you're not attached to something, but you're literally open, you're going to see the opportunity, you're going to see everything, and it's to your left and right. You're missing it. And so it's not up in the sky, it's all around you. And that's the thing that people are missing. You go, if I just think hard enough, I'm like, oh, if you just let go enough. Yes. Oh, can you talk more about that, please? Like how someone who's heard this for hearing this for the first time, who's like, Wait, no, really. I'm really focused on that bag of money. I'm just, I wear a helmet every day just in case. <laughs> just in case it hits me in the head because, you yeah. know, cows and pigs are going to be flying over me at the same time the money bag does. Safety first. It, it, right. I mean, you got to start somewhere. And I guess that's one of the things. It, this idea that we, see, I think it's important that we write things down. I think it's important that we have goals that are, that are in books and journals that we physically, physiologically are engaged with. That helps because it embeds these things in our subconscious and, and ultimately works into our superconscious. The, the difference is being fixated and, and tense around the idea. It's the same thing in martial arts. When, when somebody's fixed and tense, they're the easiest people to put on the floor because they're wound up and they're not able to adapt. And that's one of the big problems with being fixated. You can't adapt. If you're fixated on that number. If you're fixated on that thing or whatever, you're, you, you haven't let your subconscious and you work more of a fight that's going on and i think that's the the big shift when you let go of that stuff you start to feel and you start to notice things and when you notice things you may be going oh it was slightly to the left it was oh it was that person i totally would have ignored them but i was open because i was present enough so presence is where the power is where the clarity comes in yeah we can't muscle through it well, I think we try. I think people yeah, try. Right. And, and trying is, is generally one of those really dumb things we do instead of being, like doing it. Whatever mm-hmm. it is, do it or don't do it, but just try. It's like, what is it, Yoda? You know, yeah, do or do, do or not. Do not. Do try. There's no try. <laughs> so. Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom in that movie. You know, go to your inner Yoda. Would Yoda, have tr- would Yoda have fixated? Yoga would have floated around and been very, very adaptable to whatever mm-hmm. was going on. The force was with him. The force is with all of us if we let go. Yeah. And the force in that sense, I, we're just going off on a Star Wars t- tangent now. The force in that <laughs> sense really is like, I mean, it's the power within. And that's where, where people don't really trust oftentimes. And, and when you start to trust with that power, I, people often come to me and they, they talk, they ask the question how they find financial freedom. And it's because we're, we spend all this time in our lives to get money to live, to pay for our bills. And the problem is they're asking the wrong question. And it's not, how do I get the money? It's how do I find the confidence? And really, how do I build the confidence? Because you don't get a six pack or you know, rock and body by looking through the window of a gym or signing up. You actually have to go through the door and do the work. And ultimately that muscle is the confidence. And it's the same thing with life, with business, with relationships, with money. It's the confidence that is the freedom but you have to earn it. There is no four-hour hack a week by anybody named uh, M. Aris or somebody like that. <laughs> <laughs> How can people get that confidence? Stubbing your toe. I mean, there is no way. It's like we were talking about the work and, and the play. And when we're in, in sports, you never see anybody in sports that hasn't had an injury. Like you stub your toe. The, world, the world's best in anything have all stubbed their toe. They've bled. They've broken things. There is no, no hack around that say that they're perfect they haven't lost money they haven't made a mistake they're either lying or they haven't done anything yet yeah so back to that trust that so trust i feel like is my lesson to learn over and over and over again and i think that's pretty common for most humans and trusting and i'm not talking about trusting other people i'm talking about trusting myself trusting the universe just like capital t trust so how have you learned to trust? That's a really good question. How do we learn to trust ourselves? I, I, I think we, we, by, by taking action, you learn uh, when your instincts are right. 
And one of the things I've noticed is I've got this thing called a 10 year journal and it's so I can see every November 1st or every Christmas or whatever the day is for the last 10 years. And I, I am constantly reading because it's only about four lines per day and I'll go back and, and it's funny to me to see when I knew something because my instincts were telling me something and I ignored it. And then six months later, I finally did something, did the, what I should have done because I was shooting over all over myself for six months and Oh, okay. And then I finally did it. Trusting ourselves is knowing that we know the right answer and then taking action based on that instead of delaying or hedging or being paralyzed because we're trying to figure out perfection or have the safety and security in, in somebody giving us the right answer. Or you really do know the right answer when we've already done something. But when we haven't done it, we're, we wonder, are our instincts right? And they generally are, generally know. We just don't believe ourselves. And so we have to start doing that. Have you, so if it took six, six months originally, in the more recent years, have you noticed it's faster? It accelerates. After you, it accelerates to the extent that you actually are, are real about your process, that you actually study your process, that you have records. The, the reason people go on merry-go-rounds like me and my moves, seeing the same thing over and over again, because we don't ask the question, what is true? What is really going on here? And what am I learning? What am I supposed to learn? What else could I learn? And going deeper into that, when we don't do that, we get the same lesson because the universe keeps giving us the lesson until we learn it. And then it gives us something new. So we get that confidence because we learn the lesson and we go on to the next thing and we have the instincts. So the six months becomes six days, becomes six minutes, becomes a moment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And I just had a moment of learning and being faced with a new angle on that where I was given a um, business opportunity. Logically, it sounded brilliant in every way. My intuition, though, kept being like, I'm not so sure about it. And I couldn't quite connect the two. I couldn't quite trust it. I knew, I knew what he was saying, but I was like, hold on a second. And I needed the clarity of the right questions. And for me, it was just like one question that I apparently was looking for which was, does it set your soul on fire? Oh, no. Okay, I'm out. Yeah. It usually is one question. And if you don't even know what the question is, maybe a, a question for somebody listening is ask a question, what is true about what is right now? Yes. And, and start with that because it's oftentimes confusing to even know where to start. People say, what do I do first? I go, figure out where you're at. Yeah. So ask what is true. Not where you think you're at, but where are you really? Not your, not your opinion of what that means, but truly what is dealing with it's like we i was in a conference recently and one of the speakers was talking about the nature and the state of the united states with all the political divisiveness and just this really weird fracturedness and he said look i'm not this isn't an opinion about whether one's good or one's bad or this or that it's really just about what is what is right now it's very very splintered and there's a lot of conflict so what, what are the, what's the, the, what are the consequences of that? And, and I, I thought it was a very pragmatic approach where people could say, okay, and they could get on the same page of understanding and maybe doing something and, and make progress versus just getting into a, you know, a war of words or, or ideas. Yeah. I've noticed, I've noticed this more recently and whether it's just like on my radar or if it's the political climate, but it's been, the more people just state what is, there seems to be backlash against that, which is just the stating of what is, it's just the awareness. Yeah, and, and I wonder if that's the, the what is, is, is oftentimes when you, you see, for example, we, in the media, there's a lot of times there's opinions baked into what is instead of what truly is, like what are the facts? There's, there's ways of saying this, describing the same thing where you twist it into an emotional state versus actual nature of what it is. And that's where people get confused because they're like, why, why should this be so contentious? I think it's right. because we're not really being honest. We're trying to sway potentially other people. And if you just state facts, they hear the numbers and have no opinion, it's not very exciting. So right. how do you get people to pay attention? Well, you throw some emotion in there. You, you have some fancy words or some words that, that trigger people. and mm -hmm. You know, it's a very, very powerful effect. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah, I think that's interesting. We are suckers for emotion. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we're we're our brains are built with the amygdala. The the amygdala is sitting there waiting for a red alert. Why is there a red alert on every news 
cycle every news program and it's always at the bottom there are news alerts now on espn like what is that even what is i how can we have news alerts breaking news on espn red alert like okay really everybody's yeah. so desperate to keep us trapped by our amygdala which is really not even performing at a high level it's just at a security level that's terrible yeah yeah we're screwed if a tiger comes to chase us yeah yeah we're gonna be burned out like yeah. we're not going to have the like oh yeah another one another another alert exactly we kind of we do need these things we just don't need them every second that's literally a, a recipe for death yeah I, and i mean not only are we responding to news right now but we respond to like fear of other people's opinions with the same stress response that, that's a, it's an awesome thing to bring up. It, it reminds me of my old chairman, and he said, you'll, you'll never understand how free you can be until you let go of what other people think about you. And I remember thinking, interesting, yes. And yet, how often does that happen? It's, I think to your point, it's, it's, getting, it's going the other direction. Now it's, everything is so politically correct, and we're so concerned about everything we say and do that it's got to fit into some constraint of what some group think is instead of being honest about who we are and being okay with that and saying what we think when we think we should say it and not worrying about the, the consequence. And it's, it's not to hurt anybody. It's being in truth. It's being in respecting yourself for what's real and not trying to just fit in with somebody else's agenda. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I find that when I establish and maintain and respect the boundaries that I've created, that I found that I need to like be in my energy then, then I know that what I'm saying is true and that there's no, there's no judgment on truth. Like it's just going to flow for me and people can respond however they want. Right. It's so, not about so, me. Yeah. No, there, 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 that's a, that's a deep, healthy respect for self to be in that space. And that's, we could all probably use more work on that yeah. and, and the practice of doing that. It is yeah. not something you think your way into. You literally have to practice that. Yeah. Thinking doesn't get us that far. In general, I don't think. <laughs> and no, I don't think. It's all about our language, too. I, like, why did I just say I don't think? Because we think, because we're humans, and we're really good at thinking. Right. I, I, great, great example of, another example of that, a friend of mine that is really stuck in a lot of work she's doing on moving into the next phase of her life and struggling to get out of the security place where it's all about finding what's comfortable and secure that's very different from what her life what she would like to see her life like and i one of the things that she says is well we'll see and i said so you're passively engaging in your life or you're passively not engaging it's it's the same thing when people say i want passive income really you want all this passive stuff do you like are you in passive sex where there's no engagement like really and and like, what? what do you mean passive sex? I'm like, well, because it's all the same. Either you're engaged or you're not. And if you're not engaged, there's a law of entropy. It means energy and it goes away. It dissipates. It's how the universe works. I mean, just think about your significant other. And if you just, just like, you know, lay there and don't do anything, how long is that really going to last? I mean, honestly, it's really probably not going to last because it's, you're not putting any energy and you're not there. Mm -hmm. Same thing with everything in our lives. If it matters, it's worthy of energy. And so, if your money matters, if your partner matters, if it's worthy of you engaging. And if it's not worth engaging, then let go of it. Okay, so if it matters, it's worthy of energy. That's gold. I think so many people will think there's so much that matters to them, but they do, they're afraid to say something about it. They're afraid to put it out there like, hey, I'm looking for a job. Hey, I'm looking for a new place to live. Hey, like they're afraid to ask for help or even just announce um, like, Hey, I'd love speaking gigs. Does anyone have any connections? We, we, we tend to wait for these things to happen to us. And there's also one of the things that I find with people, and I noticed this in my own, my own life, especially the last, no, I'd say this probably most of the last 20 years. My intention when I go into something is how can I support, help, serve, and I'll literally say that. I'll, I'll say, you know, when I come in, I don't ask for a job. I ask for an opportunity to make somebody's life easier, to contribute to the thing. And I literally vocally will say that. And it changes how people see me. 
and it will it will change how somebody sees you. And you're if you're listening to this, consider what it's like if somebody says, "Hey, I want something from you." You're like, "Ah, oh, okay." And it, you know, if you're if you're a giving person that maybe happens to be slightly a martyr, this is a great thing. Yeah. If somebody says, "Hey, I'd really like to help. Is there an opportunity for me? Can I volunteer with you?" Like, people don't do these things. I've had one person do this in the last twenty years. Said, "I want to learn from you." Most people want to suck my brain. And this person said, I want to learn from you. Can I volunteer? And I said, great. She lasted two days. And then she went and started driving a truck because she couldn't handle it. She's like, I, I'm addicted to money. I need to go get a job. Second part, she said, the first part I knew. And that's, that's one of the big shifts when you say, hey, what am I going to do to focus on contribution? It's the, in the six human needs, you're shifting away from the security and the significance, mostly the security, in the place of contribution and impact. That's a lot more attractive and sexy than most of the population when we hear that. Different vibe. Yeah. So this security, we all need it or do we? I think it's an interesting thing because we're, we're, it's baked into how we, we grow up. There's, there's the security around if you have this, then you'll have that. If you don't have this, then you... For example, if you don't have good grades, you will not have a job. You will be homeless. You will be a derelict and you will be shamed. Right. <laughs> All right, I better get my A's. And, and so there is that, that whole, that that's, there's a security and that, it, that we get addicted to. And we get, get addicted to the process of going through motions, mostly for something else and not really fulfilling our, our awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Don't, exactly. It's security, it's so interesting to think of the need for security is well, people pleasing. It is. We, we, we definitely, we, we're, we're a bit addicted to that. And instead mm-hmm. of saying no, it's what, well, the judgment, the judgment freezes us and it, it, it prevents us from actually showing up the way that we're supposed to. And we wonder why we're miserable. Why are, why are so many people on different types, types of psychotropics and different drugs because we're miserable well, partly because most people aren't doing the work that they're supposed to be doing. They're trying to please somebody else or please society. They're, they're doing things that are going against themselves. They're literally in a war in their own head. And, and that this is part of the security thing. I've seen people have, there's one, this happens a lot, but there's one client in particular that showed up and, and I thought he was calling for some financial advice about his retirement. What he was actually calling about within two minutes was a deep seated in, I, he had a lack of belief in himself and he was so hell bent on security that him making $900,000 a year, $5 million in liquid money at 42 years old was not enough. Most people are thinking if I had $900,000 in income and $5 million, I'd be set. It's not the number. It was, it was his he, it was judgment he had around himself and how other people saw him. And so he felt like he couldn't possibly shift into a place where he was painting that's what he wanted to do he wanted to spend a lot of time painting but hey he's making 75 eighty thousand dollars a month and that's not based on painting so he was stuck in this this whole judgment and his security came from what other people thought of him and that was that's a trap and unfortunately yeah and that's such an interesting way for it to show up and and it's unique in the amount of money i think but otherwise that's actually really common it's more common than not. It's, yeah. it, and we're, and we're, our, our system is set up for this. It's another friend of mine that has, has been an entrepreneur, has made, made a lot of money, has done a lot of really cool building stuff. And his son was raised to go after security because there's, there's this projection of people that have gone through so much pain and struggle. They've bled in, in the mud and you know, they've been out there and they don't want that for their kids. Like no rational parent wants their kid to be in pain. I think a very smart parent wants their, their kids to stub their toes, break their arms, bleed, so that they build the, the scar tissue and have intelligence on the street. But that's hard to actually accept and embrace, and I, I have no doubt it's painful. Watching him want his son to go and get a government job was one of the most painful things that I've ever watched a parent try to instill these certain ideas and, and that, that path. It was like I was looking at my friend going, what is wrong with you? You, you're literally putting your son in prison. Why would you do that to him? And he thinks he's doing a good thing, but what he's doing is trying to prevent his son from being in pain. That's, I think that's where a lot of us are going. We're trying to avoid pain instead of going after the pleasure of bliss, of actually something that matters with our life, where we look back and we say, that was amazing and it was awesome, not, oh, damn, that was a mistake. 
Yeah. And what's interesting is what your friend is doing is exactly what our inner critics do for us. They're protecting us always like, don't get too big. No, this is scary. You want to stay comfortable, stay safe. And and we see it everywhere. We see it with, with people. What we, what's fascinating is that we look around and we look into media, we see high profile celebrities, we see stars and people that are making it. And that's the opposite. But the mass population is playing not to lose. It's a very defensive, very sad way to go. We're, we're taught this in, in school with most people's families, and we see it with our friends and peers most often. But the people that we really look up to and want to be, the ones that we buy magazines to read about, that's not what they do. Like, yeah. So if we're just thinking about modeling, start modeling the people that excite you. Like, Don't you want an exciting life versus a doldrum life where you tiptoe safely to death's door one weekend at a time? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. That was good. You left me speechless. <laughs> Mic I drop. Think, I mean, yeah, really. It is it is so interesting. Like what happens between college or at least your teenage years where we are following the joy. We are having fun. We're finding things we're passionate about. And then you hit your twenties and some people have this opinion of like, okay, now it's time to follow the rules. There, there's a, it's a sort of a funny thing. There's a, we go from a place of being invincible where you cannot get hurt and you, you know, sickness and ill anything is like if not a concept that we understand and we're willing to take these risks. What's scary is people that are 18, 19, 20 in their twenties and they're as fearful as people that are 80 they're worried about running out of money. I've seen that. I'm like, you're the oldest 20 year old. I know my best friend in high school. I was watching this kid. I've never seen somebody more afraid of a shadow. And I thought, okay, the, the challenge is that when we move through life, we get feedback and a lot of it's painful. And so we tend to, I know that at, at 41, I'm more, more conscious and more uh, careful than I was 20 years ago because for one, I didn't, I thought the great wall of China could be built in a week. So that was fine. And I thought you could risk everything on every deal. And that was fine. Like I just had different concepts. Now I go, Oh, I'm actually mortal. Like I've almost died skydiving four times. Like this is, I know at some point the universe says you're just too stupid to exist. So we're going to take you out. Mm-hmm. So I figured four accidents is probably enough. I, yeah. It, it is hard as we go through life. This is one of the reasons that it's so important that we have the right people around us because if we have the wrong people, they're going to reinforce this play for security. And if we have the right people, they'll inspire us to move forward in spite of the concerns and the fears and everything else. Yes. I, I've said before that it's really important to surround ourselves with other people who are doing epic shit. If you don't, you're just going to be full of shit. Nice. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and your life is going to be a, a pile of crap. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's because there's so much potential. The worst thing that you could ever tell me on my, on my deathbed or frankly, anytime, cause I heard this in high school and made me mad then was you have so much potential. Most people die with so much potential. And to me, it's an insult to say you have so much potential, What I, I'm, I'm shooting for is, wow, you are just, you're doing it. Like there's no, whatever you have, you're in like that fire is burning with all the fuel and you keep generating more fuel, but you're not sitting there with a pile of fuel that's in the storage container and tapped. Like when I hear that, it makes me cringe. Oh, potential. Oh, it's like a four letter word. Like, why don't you just punch me in the mouth? It's terrible. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And I think that's, that's one of those things that people say to somebody thinking it's a compliment. It, I mean, it's, it's like the worst criticism ever. And there's, there's, it's funny, I've heard constructive criticism. I'm like, no criticism feels good. Right. I, I can embrace it and say, okay, this is good because I want to get better. And I openly, when I speak, for example, I go to people that I trust that are going to be real with me. And I'll say, okay, unload. Like I want to unpack this thing and get better. I invite the criticism. It's very mm-hmm. different than somebody coming up and going, man, you are terrible. Like, wow, thanks a lot. You know, that you know, screw you too. But it's, we, we, I mean, there's, there's choices we make. How do we want to go? Do we want to invite this stuff? Do we want to grow or do we want to defend our crappiness? Mm-hmm. I would say most people are doing one, <laughs> not the other. Yeah. Because it's, well, it's scary. It's really scary. So when we, def- so we're, I've heard people say before that 
we could be victims or victors. And I totally disagree with this. But if people are living in this mentality that, well, I don't want to be a victim, so I want to be a victor. Or, or even choosing like, well, I guess I'm a victim. I guess that's just how things are. That sounds like Eeyore. Yeah. Like, oh boy. You know, yeah. it, to me, the whole victim thing is, is there's, there's a yin and a yang. There's, there's really two places we can go. And this is the, this is the extreme, uh, really the choice. The, the choice is, are you going to be self-responsible or are you going to be a victim where you're focused on, on shame, blame, and justification? That's the difference with society right now it's there is a shift where i see more and more people saying i am owed something because i'm a victim um, i think and it's sort of a funny thing i think bernie sanders is actually a pretty cool guy i just think that his ideas around everybody should be given these things is crazy because it makes people it bakes in the victimness and i don't think that that is a healthy thing for people. not necessarily a society and social programs i'm talking about individual belief systems around what we're going to do with what happens to us and what we're going to do with our lives. Self-responsibility does not have room for, oh, woe to me. Like it doesn't work and you have no control. You cannot fix anything. You can't change anything if you're not responsible for it. And I mean, I, it, some people say, well, I didn't do the hurricane. Like I didn't, I didn't melt my house down or, and, and I didn't, you know, I didn't get raped. Like there's extreme levels of this. And I say, yeah, you get to choose what you do with it though. It doesn't mean you pause it. It's a choice around how you respond to it. Or are you going to blame someone? You can't, you can't do anything with that. You got literally no power. Right. And you've picked yourself up a few times, huh? I, I think I scraped myself up a few times. <laughs> <laughs> can you share some of your experiences of, well, scraping yourself up? So there've been several times where I've, I've lost, you know, I've lost, all my money. Um, that's, you know, it's common theme. I've one time when it was the most extreme, it was when my ego was the biggest. And when your ego gets bigger and bigger, and then you pop that bubble, it's like an economic bubble, the bigger the bubble is the bigger the depression is, uh, whether it's economic or it's personal. And when that happened in 2008, a lot of people listening are going to go, yeah, I remember 2008. It was painful. Well, yeah. You know, I lost $20 million. I lost my house. I was sleeping out of my car, lost my dog, my girlfriend, like it, my life basically imploded. And the problem is all that stuff and, and everything that I had externally was really who I decided I was. And so when my net worth went negative and all the stuff went away, my self-worth was negative. And when you have a negative self-worth, it's, it's a very dangerous, very high potential for suicide and a lot, just bad, bad stuff, nothing healthy about it. The, the great part is getting through that and being able to reflect back and then being present with what drove that, what got me there and what was true and, and what do I need to do to rewire and reprogram and exchange my mind, not just change minds. I'm going to think differently, but literally exchange my mind into a different mind that operates from a different sense of being and go into awesome and not shit bag. There is a very big difference between those two. There is a very big difference. <laughs> How'd you do it? How'd you, well, no, first, how did you make that decision? There, I mean, uh, a couple of years after this meltdown, I was, I was volunteering for a political campaign, moved across the country and I was pushing really hard to win. Like I, I went out there because I believed in the candidate. I believed he was honest and he had great intentions and he didn't even get close to being elected because he was too honest. The, the problem was not really the election. It was, and I got fired and I got fired and I, I said, okay, well, interesting. You guys are stupid. I was here to win and you didn't want to win. You just wanted to do your job. So I'll just pretend I didn't get fired. So I went and argued with people, the trolls on the internet that said, oh, you're so stupid. You got fired as a volunteer. Like how, or yeah, you got fired as a volunteer. And I was like, no, I didn't. I quit. The truth is I got fired. I mean, who gets fired as a volunteer, by the way? Like really, <laughs> you want people, you need people. You don't have any money and resources. You need people. So when I left that, it took about six months and I reached out for, for help. I reached out to people I knew and I said, I need the best. I need, I need some help because I, I had blind spots all over the place. It was that I wasn't willing to be responsible until I asked the question and asked for help before I was, I was still being a victim. I mean, not acknowledging he got fired. That's a pretty good blaming victim role. And that was the big shift when I, I had enough. Just at some point you, you have too much and it's, you have to decide Am I going to die or am I going to change? There wasn't really another option in my mind. 
You're the second person on this podcast who has said that, like almost word for word. The first was Natalie Egan, who um, she she reached a point in her life where she realized that her life as a man wasn't working for her. And she was like, it's either over or I start my life as a woman. What's that breaking point? It's a choice. Yeah. Uh, sadly, a, a year and a half ago, um, a close friend that was the, the only, only time I've actually been picked up at a bar by a guy. And it was pretty funny because he was trying to buy me a drink or get me to buy him a drink. And I said, no, I'm good. I'm in a brand new city. This is where I was volunteering. And he said, no, <laughs> just come join my friends, my girlfriend and my friend. We're all hanging out. Just come. And I'll buy you a shot. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is fun. And Because I'm totally uncomfortable. He turned out to be this great friend and uh, turned out to kind of be a mentee. And his darkness got so, so dark and it got so painful. He went to the place where he decided that it was too much. And last year, he killed himself. So, you know, he there's a, a place for us to change. And I don't know how bad it was in his head because nobody's there except for him. Right. But I do know we can get there. And when you go through that much pain, this one of the most important things is other people isolating ourselves in times of, of crisis or, or these, these cycles that we go through and nobody is, is immune to the cycles. Cycles of life happen. It's like nature. You can't stay in summer all the time. Right. Whereas winter, you can also have people around you. And it's funny how it's not as cold when you have people around you. You know, it really does change things. And I think that that was one of the big lessons. I isolated myself until I didn't. I didn't. I was able to have other people that I realized, actually, they care about me. They love me. And, and they help me. And we have that in our lives. There's nobody that doesn't have somebody that cares. But sometimes it's up to us to actually say, hey, I need help. And mean it. Not meaning you want to whine and bitch and moan and complain to somebody, but that you actually want help and you'll do something about it. That's the difference because otherwise you just wear people out. Yeah, what is that difference between the stage where we just want to whine and bitch and complain about it and the point when we're like, no, I want to make a change. I want Fair action. It. That's the difference between therapy and a high-powered mentor or coach. I mean, truly, most therapy is just, hey, come in for your weekly wine and bitch session. And sometimes there's a change. But when I went to mine, I go in there and my therapist a year and a half later fired me in a good way. He said, you're done. Get out. Like, you know, you're, you're in a good place. He said, you're also the perfect patient, you're the perfect client because you talk, mostly you talk, you process, you go do work, you come back and you go, here's everything I did this week. And you just working it. You didn't come in here to unload. And then the difference is I was actually in the practice evolving. And that's where the work is. That's where the juice is. And that's where most people don't want to go because it's freaking painful and it's hard and, and it's, you know, it's, it's exhausting. It is. And we're the only ones that can do it. Yeah. You it, it's funny. Uh, my friend, Joe Polish was saying, you know, there's, you, I like to outsource things, but like, I, I know I want to be healthy. I can't outsource somebody going to the gym for me. There's no VA in the Philippines that can go to the gym for me. <laughs> I just have to go. Like sometimes this is one of those cases. You want to reinvent yourself. You want to change your life. You have to do it. Yeah. And it's scary. And that's why there's so many people to support us in that. It, it is. And, and, and so one of the questions I had, was, I was actually talking with my, um, my former therapist I, this week and, and I, I made that comment. I said, you know, I'm scared of this thing. And he said, scared of what? And I said, uh, and it was, it kind of stumped me because it was, it was a natural reaction to say, I'm scared of this. What am I scared of? Like I've literally been, I've dodged polar bears. I've been close to tigers, things that can kill you. I've been in really bad parts of Memphis where you get shot just because you showed up. And then I'm sitting there thinking, what am I scared of? Uncertainty. It was, that was it. It was uncertainty. Well, did I all of a sudden become the guy that can't adapt? I mean, it's not like somebody dropped me in Congo. I was in the Congo. Uh, I was there in August and it was the edge. I walked like 15 feet into it. Ebola was breaking out. That was about as close to that as I was going to get. But most of the things that we're talking about are not Ebola breakouts in the Congo. Like, what are we really afraid of? Uncertainty, the lack of our ability to predict. The question is, do you believe and do you trust in your own ability to adapt? Yes. And I think, again, what do you think? 
Um, but I believe that it's okay to be scared, that fear is the natural response. It's, again, the response from that. What do you want to do with it? I think, and you're right, and, and there's, there's a healthy reason for it to be, if we, did, if we weren't afraid, we would go walk in front of cars and we would literally die. Like yeah. it's, and so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what am, what am I actually afraid of? What is going on? When we get these gut instincts, we get this anxiety, it's, it's helpful to ask, what is really true here? What is going on? It's triggering something from my past. Is it somebody else's belief system? Is it somebody else's issue? Probably mm-hmm. is, by the way. There's a lot of other people's issues that we make our own. Yes. So we have to ask, we have to get to the truth of things. If we're not there, we're going to be really stuck in a lot of fear probably most of our lives. Mm. That picking up other people's issues is such an interesting, it's such an interesting habit. I mean, you can notice it, I think, in a group of people where someone has, people have these phrases that they pick up. So maybe they start saying, does that make sense at the end of every sentence? And then you notice other people in the group are starting to use that. It's the same way we pick up beliefs that are other people's. It's not yours. And that's an important question for us to be able to ask ourselves. Is this mine? Well, it, it, it's, it's a powerful thing to think about and to really get. It's along those lines, what 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 are the things that are influencing us? Are we being influenced by the right books, the right TV or TV at all? Are we being influenced by the right coworkers? The, because you, we do this. It's I, I, in Reinvented Life. I talk about this. It's called osmotic adaption. The the Bucky Five, those five people. It, what's fascinating is that five people that were closest to you, meaning we're with them most of the time, we become them in every single way. And what was what was scary, terrifying to me looking back. I became like mentors I had. I started talking like them. I became. I was building wealth like they were. I was also becoming their ethics and values. And I would say some of them didn't have any ethics and values because he was really modeling some of the best of the best of the worst. And I was in, in, in looking back, I went, well, why was that? Because I didn't have any values that I was driving everything from. So whatever was going for more, whoever was going for it, whatever tools, that's what I grabbed. There was no moral compass. So we got to really get, we got to start with that moral compass and then use it as a guide to say no. No, yeah. I'm not going to be around this person. No, I'm not going to, that language doesn't work for me. No, I'm going to call you out because you're being a crazy person or you're being unethical. Old friend of mine, I remember him saying, I'm, I'm going to set up this wine bar and this beer thing and I've got these eggs. It's awesome. As a business owner, this is a great example of where I can get that cash and taxes on it. Like, oh, great. It's so a tax evasion. That's one of your strategies. You're no longer friends. Dude, you're an idiot. There are so many ways to pay no or little taxes. You're going to do it illegally and you're going to potentially go to jail. Like, I don't want that in my life. That's not an influence that's okay with me. We all have those kind of questionable things in our lives. What do you do with it? That's your responsibility. You embrace it, you reject it, you run away. Like, what do you do? And, and I think being able to say something in that situation is, it takes a lot of balls in a sense. Because I think that we're, like our natural response is like, mm, okay, cool. And then like in our heads, we're like, oh my God, what, what, what? This isn't right, right? This isn't right. What am I doing? When, what are we afraid of there? Like to, to this idea about being afraid. We're afraid that somebody's going to leave us. Right. That we're going to say something, they're going to be pissed and they're going to, either they're going to attack us. So we're either going to get abandoned or we're going to get hurt. We're, we're going to get hurt in either place. And what we don't trust is that the relationship is based on something of substance where somebody goes, oh, you know, you're know, you saying this because you care versus you're saying this because you hate me or something. Right. And, and we, when we move into the place of relationships based on trust, it really just it changes that conversation because you can be open without being afraid. So you will be open because it's the only thing that makes sense. You, you the, the candid that is important shows up. You can't do that if you're in relationships that are shallow. Yeah. And, and it sounds like as you're talking, it sounds like you got to be at home in your own truth. You got to be at home in who you are and what you stand for so that you aren't, so you aren't feeling like your security is being threatened. And that would make you a trailblazer because how many people are really at home in the truth? And most, 
I mean, I'd, I, I say most because I have very few examples of where I can say that that's true. It's, I, I find that that's more true in the space of, of the podcasting world. It's really fascinating because people like you show up and you, you kind of put it all out there. Yeah. And, and that's not normal. People in normal, quote unquote, normal media don't do that. The normal world don't do that. So we've got this really strange space of truth where people are willing to actually show up and say what they're thinking, say what they're feeling, be wrong, be a little awkward and like a puppy with giant paws. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's cool. That, that's, hey, that's how evolution. I live my life. <laughs> my paws. <laughs> I love it. Following joy and tripping over my paws. I really want to be like a puppy. They're, they're and curious. Wait, that's and that's the missing piece that where we go from being invincible and curious to being protective and defensive and uh, and, and afraid of everything. I mean, like there's that that inner curiosity. It's we could all do better by finding more of our five year old selves that we're just curious about everything. Yes. Yes, I love to start each day wondering. Oh my God, it's a brand new day. What am I going to learn today? Who am I going to meet? What am I going to experience? Yeah. We can look at every day like a, an opportunity to discover new things. Or we can have a groundhog day. We could. And um, you know, if you want to be Bill Murray, then perhaps that's, you know, carry on. I, to me, the, the, the open-eyed nature of curiosity is it's something that's, that can change our lives. Yes immediately and it's that there's great potential there that you can tap into instead of dying with end-up potential yeah if we're if we're not attached and we're curious we're expansive like what are we going to discover maybe we'll discover that that bag of money is actually at our feet just waiting for us meanwhile we're trying to kick this thing out of the way that's in front of us yeah. we think it's an obstacle it's like what ryan holiday talks about with it. the obstacle is the way i mean mm -hmm. truly the way into your future is probably the thing that you're running into right now. Exactly. So Could pay be. attention when you stub your toe. <laughs> That's called nerve centers. They're giving you, uh, they're giving you feedback. Uh, oftentimes they're giving you feedback, telling you, hello, look down. Yes. Sometimes they say, hello, look up. And maybe just open your eyes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Damien, I have a few last questions for you. And first of all, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? I, the scariest thing I ever, I think the, the decision to quit school and, and go off into the place where I was judged and ridiculed by, I think everybody, I don't remember anybody going, this is a great idea. Like, I think it was like mom, dad, siblings, friends. It didn't matter. It was all, you're an idiot. And that, that lasted 10 years. That lasted into the becoming a multimillionaire. It just, it, the condemnation and judgment. This, so the fear around that, that's pretty scary. I mean, going out into, into uh, wild darkness. Like how did you, how did you hold still, like hold true to your truth on that? Because I didn't hold still because I just kept going really <laughs> fast. And it was, it was just me moving. One of the things that I, I know is true for me and probably for a lot of people is that if we're moving and we're continuing to expand, we don't have time to get stuck in the past. It's when you're, if you sit still in, in quicksand, you're eventually just going to sink down. I mean, that's kind of how it works. But if you're running so fast across something, you can't go down because you're already past it. And that's, that's a, it's, it's a great metaphor for, for life. If you're moving and you're learning as you go, don't have time to be stuck by anything. It can't hold you back. It doesn't have the ability to get a grip. And so that was, that was the shift. A friend of mine uh, has shared this quote a few times. I think it's an African proverb. It's pray and move your feet. Yeah. The, 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 you know that the, the story about the people that are stuck um, in the flood and like Katrina where they, they're, they're waiting for it to, um, they're waiting for help. And, you know, first, first the boat comes by and then, you know, and then, then a helicopter comes by and, and they get all these chances and then they end up dying because they drown. And they say, well, I was waiting for God to help me. And, and it's, dude, God sent all these different ways for you to do something, but you still had to, to move your damn feet. Yeah. And people are waiting for the thing to happen to them instead of moving their damn feet. Yes. 
That's a great note to close on, but I do want to ask, is there anything else that I shouldn't, that I should have asked you that I shouldn't, that I didn't? Wow. My words got all tangled up there. What do you want to say? Fail faster. And remember, it's, it's, it's a verb. It's, it's not a noun. Um, when you look back, you're not going to – I've heard this a million times, and it, it's, it's worth saying a million more to myself and to you guys that you're not going to look back and be, and be sad because of the things that you didn't do. You, or you will be sad because you, you, you won't regret the things that you made a mistake on. You'll, be, you'll regret the things that you didn't attempt. And, and when, the only reason you don't attempt them is because we're afraid of failing. Well, that's just the part of the growth process that the universe wraps up into these opportunities that look scary. So living with regret is the ultimate. Um, dying with it. I was what, I'll close with this. My, four years ago when my dad got sick and, and was a few weeks from dying, we had a conversation and he said to me, there were so many things that I wanted to do. And he knew he had weeks and he knew that he was going to die with the potential, with the regret of not living because he was afraid to go out there and make a mistake. I will not make that, that mistake. And mm-hmm. I hope you guys hear that, that and you won't go through your life hesitating so that you end up saying that to somebody else that cares about you because it'll break them. It broke me and it's not worth it. It's better to go out there and trip around and stub your toe and bleed a little bit and leave it all there. Yeah. Oh, powerful stuff. Thank you. How can people learn more about you? Buy your books, everything else. Yeah, come visit, uh, come visit DamianLupo.com. There's a, there's a workbook that I've got that is a downloadable workbook for Reinvented Life where you can get the exercises and the questions. And I would love people to get that. You can actually get it on reinvention.net. So if you go to reinvention.net, just get a copy of that book, um, the workbook. It's free and download it. You do the work. This is not a novel. It is a bunch of work. It's about, I don't know, 12 pages. And if you want some questions that'll help kind of spur your growth and your reinvention, get that workbook. You don't need to buy anything from me. Just go get the freaking workbook and do the work. Awesome. Are you on social media? I am. I'm on LinkedIn. That's the place to find me. All right. All right. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. It has been. Thanks, Kelsey. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome. Awesome.